Hello, and welcome to the Line Break Podcast. My name is Chris Corlew, and with me as always is my friend and co-host, Bob Sikora. We're here. We are here. This week we are trying something new for us, uh, something we've wanted to do for a long time. We're reading a whole book. That's right. This is part one of two for our deep dive into Roske's Beholding, a book-length poem inspired by Julia Serving's insane behind-the-backboard finger roll in the 1980 NBA Finals that spirals out into a meditation on race in America, family, and a million other things. In other words, it's absolute catnip for Bob and me. Personally, this is my second experience with Ross's work, the first time being when Bob read his poem, Patience, way back on episode five. But Bob is the biggest Ross Gay fan I know. So what we're going to do is run through our usual slate of questions, usual slate of questions with me asking Bob the questions in part one and Bob asking me the questions in part two. I should also give a warning. We're both pulling from the book as we talk. So there's going to be some page ruffling. Uh, anyway, shall we get into it, Bob? I guess. I guess that's what we're going to do. Yeah. I mean, I should have asked you this off air, but is there uh, is there anything quick you want to say before I ask the first question because you, you kind of get into it in your notes for the first question but uh, if you wanted to give a I wanted to clear out some space if you wanted to uh, you, uh, you want to box out clear out some space for me to get the rebound here exactly yeah I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, we're running pick and roll and uh, you're, you're the ball handler <laughs> I guess I, I you know my, my notes are, are absolutely a convoluted mess here um, it was mostly really fun for me to kind of re-enter the book and kind of break down um, how it moved in the ways that excited me. Um, but I think, as you said, um, I guess maybe the starting point for us is, you know, one, I believe actually, like, when we were first starting to record episodes is when I first heard that this book was coming into existence. Um, I don't know if I mentioned it to you on air or off air, but was just obviously just so thrilled. And, you know, like, all I got was, I don't know if it was an interview with him or just someone else mentioning it, you know, like the publishing announcement, but, you know, Ross Gay book, about Dr. J, <laughs> book length poem about Dr. J, and just like absolutely, you know, um, between one, the subject matter, obviously basketball. Right, right. <laughs> um, but, you know, doc, Dr. J holds, I don't know, a, a pretty, a place of reverence, you know, I think um, among basketball people. Oh, a yeah. Particularly special kind of reverence. Um, and I've, I've heard, Ross try to articulate this and try and speak on it. And it's, it is, it's a, it's, it's, it's a unique position. I think that Dr. J holds within basketball mythology. Yeah. Uh, for lack of better words. But then you also throw out that it, it's, it's Ross Gay writing this poem, that it's, it's his first book length poems, you know, big long poem project. And he's certainly written some long poems in the past. You know, I was myself even ultimately, I guess, a latecomer to his work um, catalog of unabashed gratitude was kind of the, you know, I think the book where he really his reach expanded, you know, a little bit. I think both of his books before that were. Yeah, that book got a lot of attention. Um, right. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, you know, I was someone who saw it on like a year end list, read it, loved it, and eventually saw him read, eventually like dug into all the stuff. And, you know, I've, I've listened to at least, at least two podcasts specifically about this book. <laughs> you know, I, I attended a reading with him, reading, uh, uh, an online reading from this book. Um, yeah, I, I have 
prepped for this as much as I can, just like as a fan. And I still feel entirely um, daunted, daunted by the task of um, trying to say everything that I want to say about this book. Yeah, Maybe that's how I will leave this all off. That's fair. I totally <laughs> share your feelings of nervousness. Um, it is an immense achievement, this book. And I think your point about Dr. J holding a special place of reverence, that rings really true to me. He's my uncle's favorite player. My uncle, uh, my uncle Jim consistently says he's the best player he's ever seen. And I've heard writers talk about like, there's a special kind of had to be there quality with Dr. J because so yeah. many of those 70s games are like not on right not on camera not on tape um and so many of those aba games are not on tape and like uh i've watched a couple like there's some youtube videos out there of like when he the time he showed up to rucker park and uh people talking about like just just like totally breathless uh Mm -hmm. talking about him and i i think michael jordan says like i wouldn't be here if without Dr. J and without David Thompson. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. And so, and then you like look at his stats and they are like, they are mesmerizing. Um, He's, you know, I I know he's had like some like 37, 15 and four games in the playoffs and stuff like that. He was like a really special player, but then like, you know, he also like, um, it would be interesting to see him in the modern game because he he didn't Mm -hmm. have the greatest jumper in the world, but like, you know, if he was born in 1990, maybe he would have, you know, developed a better jumper or whatever. Sure, right. You know, all, all that stuff. But, like, he's such a he's such a hard person for me to contextualize. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like that makes him uniquely suited for a book of poetry. Okay. Um, I, for, for, for me, anyway. Because it, it, there are so many players that you can nail down their careers based on stats. And some players are more mythological and i feel like Mm -hmm. dr j to me is a mythological guy and then in this poem this this book length poem really gets at that to me Uh, absolutely absolutely so yeah let's let's dive in let's get to the questions okay this is this is your portion of the of the of the talk um (laughs) so yeah number one why this book or poem you know i mean i guess we already did touch on this a little bit but i think what is so, so, so exciting to me about this to start us off as a fan of poetry, as a fan of basketball, is that this is an attempt to look at basketball, look at a basketball player, look at a play in a way that I've never seen before. I don't know anyone who's tried to take on something quite like this. I really think I might only be able to answer this question by reading a little bit. Sure. Yeah. Um, so I want to just kind of dive into really just the opening. Yeah. Um, I think okay. it's also a way to hopefully give theoretical listener who hasn't read this yet a chance to kind of get a feel for it. So I'm starting on page three. Page three. Yep. Got it. Yeah. Uh, and so it has the title of the poem, Beholding. And then it says April 4th, 2015 to today, which is fantastic. Such a, such a great. In its own right. The poem is still ongoing. Yeah. Um, I love it's, it. It's a, it's a single, there are no, the, 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 I can't even call it a single sentence, but there is no end stop punctuation. Yeah. At the I end think, of the poem. I think there's like, I think there's like one, maybe two periods somewhere around page 63. I think. I it's, I'm going to be mad if that's true. It might be true, but. But they're 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 really sneaky, and they're like, it's a moment where he's like trying to catch himself and like calm right. down. Um, right. 
but yeah, it might as well be one long sentence with with no. Yeah. So, but this idea is, I think, important that it's ongoing. He talks. Ross talked about this in another podcast that he took out a period at the at the end of the very last, like on the last page. There was a period at the end, and he took it out because he wanted to keep the poem going. Oh, that rule! That, that it doesn't end. That's so awesome. I love it so much. <laughs> All right, getting into the poem. You might have noticed there's nowhere to go. The wind cutting little eddies at your collarbones and behind your ear. As Dr. J drives from the foul line, extended to the baseline, defended valiantly by Mark Landsberger, who, in this poem, despite the doofy urge to make him so, is not allegorical, but is rather simply a hard-working journeyman ball player with decent athleticism and size and a floppy mop of dusty blonde hair, got caught up in the gust, sliding his size 16s quick so that Doc, after catching the ball at the elbow and taking one hard dribble toward the baseline, where the dunk would usually commence, could not access the paint or the lane or the key, which is what we call the area nearest the goal, which, in this case, is an iron hole drawn in space and therefore implies a window through the key, makes it also a door that Landsberger, it seemed, was trying to keep shut. And so Doc leapt. He left his feet, which means more or less jumping with the ball with nowhere to go, and which were warned against by coaches from day one. For the ensuing requisite stupid pass, or more simply, though, no less stupid travel, also called walking, which the leaping often leads to. Keep your feet again and again, which makes the leaping, leaving your feet, sound sacrificial. The way in certain places, certain countries, or countries inside of countries, you must leave by foot with nowhere to go, which there is. And Doc, you should note, after the one dribble, clasps the ball with only his right hand without once at all in any shape or form using the left, which, among other things, friends, differentiates this from all the descendant moves. Kevin Durant, Dwayne Wade, Steph, and Giannis, and Harden, and Kawhi. Yes, Bron Bron too. I shall not be moved. And using only one hand, which is amazing, but not yet miraculous, more a physical and therefore genetic fact. Thanks, Ma and Pa Irving. Doc's hand becomes an octopus, gripping the ball, nothing like prey, and with that ball snugged in his mitt, Doc maybe kind of sort of thought something like, I am going to put this schmuck, this schmuck in this case being Landsberger, though do not please revert to a simplistic allegorization of the journeyman, which word I repeat advisedly, on a poster. Though schmuck is a word I'd be surprised to hear Doc say, and the word posterize, common usage, common, common usage, posterize his ass, you might be thinking is a bit of an anachronism in this poem, in this move, which ostensibly occurred in the 1980 NBA Finals. Though we all know that nothing happens only when it happens. We all know nothing happens only when it happens. I'm going to cut myself off there. Sure, sure. <laughs> I, it's hard to do. <laughs> I really want to get down later in the page. When he says, 
<laughs> Especially Bill fucking Walton. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, fitting because uh, the uh, Dr. J and Bill Walton had a big rivalry in the uh, <laughs> 7-7 finals. Yeah. <laughs> but I think, I think stopping there uh, gets us to a little bit of the rhythm of Ross's writing, um, kind of the 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 movement of you know we we've we've talked before about poetry logic or poetry sense and you know I just I keep thinking about how you know one as we said this is this ongoing sentence but like good lord if you tried to like diagram the sentence yeah <laughs> um, oh, you know yeah he he's, he stops mid thought to think something and to think something within the thought there's just this incredible movement um i and i think it's long been there in the way that he writes but i think his last so before this collection was um his book of he called them essayettes called the book of delights which were these prose pieces where i felt i heard a very similar kind of rhythm and movement of letting these sentences wind and go where they wanted to. And any thought kind of felt fair game to come out of the exercise of what he was doing. Sure. Um, and it's just, it's so exciting to see that same kind of movement really let go widely in a poem like this. Yeah. I, I'm going to cut in for just a second because <laughs> yeah, I, please. <laughs> I, I kind of despise the term stream of consciousness because I feel like it's used by people to just describe something they don't understand. But um, this is sort of a poem where you can tell that the author is letting their brain run wild. And, Mm -hmm. but it's also because visually on the page, it's, it's made up entirely of couplets. Mm -hmm. It's not um, visually on the page. It doesn't look that intimidating. It's, it's, it's entirely couplets. It's a relative, I haven't, I haven't measured the book. I don't know how big it is, but it's a relatively like small book. You know, it's not like one of these like big, like, you know, all encompassing books. So that immediately signals to me that there's a lot of thought going into this. There's a lot of editing going into this, but it reads like the unfiltered wanderings of an active and interesting mind. The way he goes from, topic to topic it's just like it's it's like this is what i want my brain to be if i, if I was distilling my brain down to something like um yeah it, it no. it's it's so careful in what it does mm-hmm. even while seeming completely unfiltered and unfettered you know i love love all of that and i'm i'm so glad you said that kind of the way you did because one of the things that i really want to talk about in terms of like why this book excites me so much is not just Ross Gay as a poet, not just that I like basketball, but that one of the kind of impulses of this book is obsessing over something. Yeah. And we don't quite get to it in those first couple of pages. I think, I don't know, I read two or three pages there, you know, but he's talking about the scene of this event. He's describing, you know, Dr. J in this moment. And as you come to learn later in the poem, he is just watching this like 10, 15 second clip on YouTube over and over and over again in the middle of the night. Yeah. How many times have you seen that clip? Do you think? Cause <laughs> oh. I, I bet for me, it's, it's close to a hundred. 
between commercials on TNT and then watching it on YouTube, I bet it's close to 100 for me. Similarly, I I do think it's on enough commercials or like NBA little, um, you know, like the teaser kind of things. Yeah, exactly. Legitimately, I would think like the only clips that would compete with it in terms of like sports clips that I've seen over and over again, it's like Kirk, Kirk Gibson home run world series. Sure. Jordan from the free throw line, Jordan last shot. And then this, yeah. You know, like, yeah, that's about right. Um, <laughs> yeah. Maybe Bo Jackson running up the wall. Him. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's one of those, it's one of those things that you can see over and over again. And it, it never fails to be mesmerizing. So, right. And then that, that impulse you sometimes get late at night to just rewatch a YouTube clip over and over and over again. At one point in the poem, he says it's 4.55 AM. And I'm like, I get it, man. I've been there. <laughs> um, but I think also, like you were saying, I like, I love that you, you brought the phrase like stream of consciousness. Cause I get that in, in reading it, but exactly like you said, I think sometimes stream of consciousness is code for almost thoughtlessness. Yeah. You know, of like, this is just what my brain is doing. Yeah. Um, Unedited work. Right. And that's just so the opposite of what is actually happening. Right. But it's it's the effect of what is happening. Right. Absolutely. Um, But that he, he does, he so clearly has a lot that he wants to investigate and carefully investigate. And that, that care we are going to get into, I think, is part of what makes this so, so exciting for me. It's a real treat to read as a basketball fan, yeah. as a poetry person, someone taking it this seriously and with, and like both seriously and fun. You know, the, yeah. the little aside yeah, yeah. about Bron Bron, um, the naming off of players. Um, I think we were just like a page or two away from when he starts talking about Kareem and it's just this great moment where he's like Kareem was a good help I I turned it over this is page 10 Kareem a good help defender <laughs> mm, wait a sec that's wrong Kareem one of the best defenders of all time five time NBA all defensive first team 16 six time NBA all defensive second team six MVPs sorry MJ <laughs> like, <laughs> like I love all of that yeah, um, I love it so much. I, I want to get something out before I forget it because mm-hmm. your reading of, of the first couple of pages there reminds me that um, what this poem does, something this poem does so well is traffics in the very specific language of basketball fandom. Mm-hmm. And so this this was something I realized because I, I just had an article come out on Cracked about... Um, where I broke down a couple of uh, like six songs based on music theory and what my editor, Syriac Lamar, a wonderful human being uh, told me was like, Hey, you're going to have to dumb this down for idiots like me who don't know anything about music theory. And I was like, Oh yeah. Music theory is basically like a second language to me. I've, I've, I've been speaking it since I was 13 and like, I know all these things and I can't, but I can't like not other people, other people don't know these terms. So I have to describe music, which is impossible to describe. (laughs) Um, And, um, and I feel that way about the NBA because like you and I are big basketball fans. So we know the language, we know what MVP Mm -hmm. means. We know 
what help defender means. Not a lot of people know what help defender means. <laughs> right. Um, and, uh, um, you know, we get, we know who Giannis is. We know who Bron Bron is meant to reference. Uh, we know all this stuff. And uh, Ross just unabashed, unabashedly traffics in this language that is mm-hmm. like, you know, this is just a language that if, if you know it, you know it. And if you don't know it, you don't. And right. like, I'm just, I'm just going with the poem there. Um, <laughs> and uh, so, so, so yeah, like, like you referencing it, like, yeah, like in the, the part where he talks about like, uh, we're going to get it too ahead of ourselves, but the part where he talks about like putting a little English on the, mm-hmm. on the layup, or let's just call it a kiss off the glass. Like right. that's hard to describe without showing it to someone. And I, yeah, maybe I, I could be wrong because I know all these basketball terms, but I think he does a good job of it in the poem describing describing this very basketball specific stuff in a way that a non-basketball fan could maybe at least understand the feeling of seeing or the feeling of experiencing or knowing about, which seems like a really hard thing to do. You know, I, I totally agree. Yeah. Totally agree. Um, the the last so I, I I went to this. I keep saying went to. I, I attended <laughs> this, this, this virtual reading, and it, this was through a university out here, University of Missouri, Kansas City. And this professor who's hosting it, you know, one of her opening things was this idea that she, you know, in prepping for this reading, was realizing how little she knows about basketball. <laughs> um, and I do. I think I think he's walking an incredibly impressive and narrow line of. You know, of, of like you said, using a vocabulary, using a language that a basketball head is going to be very familiar with. Um, but also, he's such a generous. I feel like his attitude towards his reader is one of such generosity and such kindness. Yeah. Um, that he couldn't do this in a way that's going to like truly leave people out. Right. Um, you know, truly make them feel lost. Um, and ah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's an it's an impressive skill as a writer and, and and one if I can editorialize a little bit, I think all writers should pursue. Right. Um, you know. Agreed. You're never going to make everyone happy, happy, but like yeah, should always try to be as inclusive as possible and yeah, it's admirable what he does. Um so yeah, let's all right. Let's get to words. Keep moving. Let's question two. Uh, what's the move? What's the move, Bob? What does he do? What is the move? Um, I'm looking at my notes, and and you know, I. It I starts with with Ross. There's so many things I can talk about, <laughs> which is a good sign for how this question is going to go. <laughs> I do have like a very specific place that I want to go with this. I promise. <laughs> I will use the language for my notes again. Of, of again, when I think of Ross Gay, when I think of his poetry, I think he has a poetics of abundance and a poetics of generosity. Um, to me, it feels like there's just this like pouring and overflowing. There's there's so there's like a, a muchness to it. Yeah, go there, yeah, yeah. Um, that I just I just love. What I guess I want to talk about in terms of the move, and and again, I'm gonna I'm gonna read some of the book. Um, I think I, I think I found two small enough sections to read, but he the word I'm going to use for it is digressions. Okay, is that sure. He's you know this book is about 
Dr. J. <laughs> right, right. You know, it's it's that exact situation of like, so what's the book about? Which one is always an awful question to ask about oh, like a yeah. book of poetry, yeah. you know, yeah. um, especially a book of poetry. But yeah, it's like one of those things where, you know, this is his Dr. J poem and like how much that wildly undersells I've, what's actually happening. I feel like a trope of this podcast is we start talking about what the poem's about and then we start talking about six different things. <laughs> <laughs> um. Well, I, I wrote in the notes, I, I, I had two jokes that lead into what I want to say, and they are not like ha-ha jokes. They are, you know, me, mere observations that I think are kind of humorous. Right. Um, the first one is is I've, I've thought about this for years um, with like, I don't know, the contemporary, like the, gr- the great novels, like the, oh, the, sure. big, the big novels that are important. Your your uh, your Infamous Jest, your Bologna, what is it, 2066. I even think like, Zadie Smith novels fall into this. Oh, yeah, um, at least yeah. the two that I've read, um, where it's like, what are they about? You know, like what? They're about everything. And the only re- way to write this novel about the contemporary moment is to write a novel that's about frickin' everything. Yeah, um, and I've come to hate that kind of novel so much. <laughs> I say, it's not true, and you don't have to do that. Right. Um, but All novels should gets... be under 200 pages. I'm just going to get that one. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> I also somewhat feel that about this um, this poem is that, you know, it is, it's about everything. It's about so much, yeah, but not everything. Um, my second joke, um, again, not jokes, but that's the only language I have for it. Right. Right. Um, and we've talked about this one here before, uh, um, is that you go to uh, grad school uh, for in theory for English um, or, you know, I went from my MFA and took like lit classes and, you know, you think you're there to read and write about literature, right. and then these professors just keep throwing art theory at you. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, um, I actually do appreciate that. I, I got a lot out of it. Right. I enjoyed it, but I definitely wasn't expecting it. Um, right, right. <laughs> totally threw me off when that first happened. It's like being um, a novelist and studying screenwriting, you know, <laughs> like, which is where I'm at. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it's... It's the, um, yeah, you think you're just going to be uh, uh, reading poems all day, but turns out you have to, like, you know, explore all other mediums. And you have to, like... And just some, like, big fancy theory about right. art and art, you know, whatever. Josh gave this um, assignment one time to go to the Art Institute and write a poem based on a painting. And I was just like, I don't know anything about paintings, <laughs> you know? <clears throat> was the poem any good? Uh, yeah, I got a, I got a whole, I, think it's like, I got a whole series out of it. I got like an eight poem series out of it. What a good exercise. Oh, oh. You got eight poems out of it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it doesn't even matter if they were good. You got eight poems out of yeah, it. Yeah, they were okay. Um, uh, they're, they're on my list to revisit at some point. Okay. Okay. Just a decade old, decade old, decade old poem. You got to give it a look at. Right. right. Um, all of which is to say. Um, is that you're reading this poem and it's about basketball. It's, it's, we're weaving out in and out of the moment in the video that Ross is watching or the speaker is watching and then into his own thoughts and observations. And it, it does these, this series of digressions. Like we just did, we had some major digressions. Right. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. We got way um, off base there. <laughs> right. Um, I, and you mentioned um, this incident with um, Dr. J. Was it Rucker Park? 
Yeah, he uh, he showed up at Rucker Park yeah. one time. Yeah, right. A, yeah. That's in the poem too. Like that's one of the digressions. As it goes there, right? And right. It, it it imagines. I think like I, I don't know. It's there's this beach scene. It's all incredible. All that I'm getting to is. I'm so into basketball for almost 30 pages and fully on board with it and loving it. And then all of a sudden this poem is about photography. Yeah. <laughs> which, which I was not expecting. Right. Um, and it's what it's doing is it's getting to what the poem is, the actual aboutness of the poem. Um, it's, it's, I think it's really invested in what it means to look at something. And that, yeah. I think I'll get into that in the next portion we kind of talk about the title but yeah this idea of what is it to behold something what is it to look at something to really look at something yeah um and i just think that mode of being in one place i guess scratch that part of what the book is doing is trying to i think both express and then also practice this idea of what happens when I really look at something? Sure, sure. And one of those things I think is the digression. Um, yeah. And I, I'm going to read now because I think I actually, I think I did plan this out well enough where I have the moment. So I'm on page 29. 29, let's get to it. So towards the top, I'm kind of in the middle of a line here, but I think it's helpful to start there. So again, he's up all night watching this. Right. And then it goes, and watching the move again and again like this, At 2.59 a.m., I notice now when Doc is suspended here in his flight, Kareem's hands no longer look like the flimsy limbs of silver maples, but like a person preparing to catch a falling body, which maybe explains the worry stitching itself across Kareem's face and the nervous bend of his legs, maybe explains the way he seems to contract his whole torso, his heart's carriage by holding his breath, also, goddamn, his heart's carriage. <laughs> so good, yeah. Oh. And the 18,168 spectators in this clip, whom I have seen hundreds of times tonight, explode with delight. I notice their outreached hands take the same instinctive posture of primates falling through air, which is thought to have emerged that we might grab a branch on our plummet with our downturned palms and not die, which might be an act of bodily sympathy we do unwittingly when witnessing the unwitnessable, the way we do so often these days. Today, witness the unwitnessable. Again, I'm going to pause because holy shit, that section. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, You know? um, Yeah, it really reminds me in, like, the way you're talking about... um, what it means to behold something, what it means to look at something. Um, and this might be pandemic talking, but like, man, you know, so you and I both watch a lot of basketball. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, how many games do you catch a year? I catch like one, maybe two games a year, like in person. Oh, in person. Yeah. yeah. Pretty much one a year. Yeah. About one a year. Maybe two of them lucky. And there was a time a couple of years ago, I could look it up. But uh, my parents were coming to visit, and were like, and they were like, "We've never been to the United Center." And I was like, "Okay, let's 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 go see a Bulls game." My parents were like, "We're not getting three hundred level seats. We're gonna catch. We're we're gonna, we're gonna 
we're going to splurge and get 100 level seats. Um, it's like, okay, I've never sat that close to a game, <laughs> except for a WNBA game, because WNBA games are very affordable to sit at the 100 level. But um, we sat on the 100 level, like maybe 10 rows back, like right in front of the basket. And it was Bobby Portis's rookie year on the Bulls. <laughs> and I remember the confidence with which he, like, just like smashed his dribble and posted up. I, I was like, Bobby Portis is the next like Shaq. Like he's he's going to be incredible. <laughs> like, and it was. I realized now that it was just because I was seeing him up close. It was right. just because normally I watch these players on TV and I was seeing the act itself up close. And this is like this is something I've been thinking about pandemic where it's like. You know, we, we, we talk about, like, Zoom fatigue and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, like, like I'm grateful that this technology exists, like Zoom exists, so that I can see my family and and see my friends and things like that. And, you know, I can talk to each other and host this podcast. But, like, man, there's just no substitute for being in person with people. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Yeah, I I don't know what exactly that is, but I think he's trying to get at it. Like, there's a difference between, mm-hmm. we talked about um, Art Institute stuff. There's a difference between seeing an image online, like, right. if you, like, Google search, uh, you know, a Jackson Pollock painting, and then if you go to an art museum and you see the Jackson Pollock painting, there's a difference mm-hmm. between listening to a... Um, like like a band on a record and then going to see them live. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And I think, yeah, it's like you're reminding me, you're, you're, you're talking about it in here. Like it seems like he's trying to get in that, which seemed We're like an impossible thing there. to get at. <laughs> <laughs> and We're getting there. There was something else you said. Now I can't remember because I, I got off on too much of a tangent. It's okay. I got, it was a good digression. Digression. I, I wanna, the word of the I day. See, I want to see this digression through. Yeah, let's see it so, through. Yeah. <laughs> we're on page 30. We we do so often these days today witness the unwitnessable. And 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 again, that kind of comes out of you know how he says, like, after watching it this many times, I notice essentially Kareem being scared. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and, and this is I think getting to what you're speaking to of, of that way of like different ways of looking at things. Um, and I think he's really interested in like looking closely and maybe look, looking with a certain kind of care. And, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Intention, maybe. Sure, yeah. So then he continues, my own palm, my own palms twisted again and again toward the earth, witnessing the unwitnessable, which is not unlike their motion treading water in a college gallery for mostly wealthy white children, exhibiting its special collection of photography. A Lincoln portrait and a display of weird Warhol photos, a young Sly Stallone among them. When I rounded the partition, and between the famous war photo of the Viet Cong colonel in the midst of his being publicly executed, wincing and his hair must as though a small bird had just flown from his ear, and the famous war photo of the naked child fleeing the wreckage of her own napalmed skin, was the famous photo of two black people falling from a collapsed fire escape. The adult near the bottom of the photo tumbled into a dive, her left forearm and hand elegantly drawn into what could be a wave, but is not, 
obscuring her face. Though behind the tiny gully at her wrist is her eyebrow and the slight shadow cast by the small cave of her eye socket and what it was seeing. And falling also in the looking, a common house plant that must have sat on the fire escape and that she must have watered time to time or, pur- or poured in her spent coffee grounds like her aunt showed her and sang with the plant as we do quietly, feathering her fingers through the fawns. And I'm going to not continue there because it requires you to sing. Oh, you don't want to do a mini Ripperton? (laughs) (laughs) Ross has no problem breaking into singing in the middle of his reading, but uh, you don't want to hear me try and hit those notes. (laughs) It is a a hard, hard song to sing. Um, Song I also sampled on my uh, last DP. (laughs) Little plug, little plug. Um, but, um, but so this incredible, you know, digression or pivot or whatever you want to call it. From I'm noticing something about this basketball clip. So he's noticing that that Kareem is kind of scared in the basketball clip. He's noticing the fans' arms. It makes him think about like the evolutionary act of falling, and it makes him think about him. He several times throughout this kind of gestures to this idea that he's trying to recreate the movement of Dr. J in the video with his own arms. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which reminds him of treading water is like the linking uh, phrase here um, at this art gallery. Yeah. Where, you know, the, I think where the poem starts to really shift into, you know, a lot of what's on his mind with this. Yeah. Um, and this photo... So there are a number of photos in the book, and I think he definitely intentionally chose not to include this photo of this woman and this, this black woman, this black girl falling from a fire escape. Yeah. And it's, I was too curious. I looked it up. It's, it's horrifying. Yeah. I, I kept looking through the book to see if it was in the book and I just missed it. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause you know, he goes, goes into it at such length. Right. And I was like, is it, is it here? And, and, and am I just missing it? Um, right. And then when I realized it wasn't in the book, I was like, uh, I, I did the opposite. I was like, I, I don't, right. don't want to see this. <laughs> that was a choice. Yeah. Um, and just, whoa, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, those Vietnam photos he's describing right. are as ubiquitous as that jo- Dr. Jake clip. And mm-hmm. I mean, they're horrifying. They're like, I, I, I don't know. I've, it's, it's a weird, it's a weird thing to have grown up. I was born in 1987. You were born in what, 1986? 87. Um, mm-hmm. uh, oh, we're just in different grades because of school cutoffs. That sucks. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, to like to sort of grow up where that photo had already become ubiquitous. Mm-hmm. And as a kid, you're a little bit divorced from the horror of it. Right. Um, and like we're talking about what, like what it means to behold something, to, to look at something. Like those photos are horrifying. Those two. Um, I mean, yep. They are. They are truly, truly horrifying. And and one thing I, I struggle with a lot is like how much how much of my life was spent not realizing how horrifying those photos are. Mm-hmm. And then he included this, or or well, devoted a whole bunch of the poem to this other photo of these. Um, this black woman and her daughter falling in a fire and like was like, no, this is too horrifying to include, but I am going to talk about it at length. Um, Right. 
yeah i'm i'm getting off base it's just power it's 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 powerful powerful stuff um and and uh uh to get from dr j to that in 2 minutes is uh or two two pages is is tough um, right yeah um but yeah it's i think it's this really incredible gesture of if i'm going to be thinking about how i look at things like you said, let's really look at this thing. Yeah. You know, and and think about what it means to look at it, what it means to take a picture of it. Later on in that section of the poem, he alludes to there's he did, you know, he did research on it and the the girl who was who was caught in the picture lived and there's this other picture of her as an adult with a picture of her in this off, you know, this moment of you know, kind of assuming she's going to die, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I, I don't even know exactly what I'm trying to get at here, but it's, it's, I was just floored with it. And again, I think it's this really powerful move to try and act on what he's thinking about through the poem. Right. Um, right. What does it mean to, to look at something. And then again, if we take it to that next step of like to look at something is to behold something. And, you know, how does, if we just latch onto that language a bit, you know, what does that mean about us witnessing each other? Yeah. In his, he's interviewed by David Naiman in, and now I'm forgetting the name of that podcast. Oh wait, I might have in my text messages. Is it under the, under the covers, something the covers. Oh God, I see. can look it up. <laughs> uh, is it um... between the covers? <laughs> it's between the covers. I got it. Okay, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I'm really mad. It's it's a two hour interview that I want to listen again, and I wish I had taken notes, you know, because uh, it's that good. And if you enjoy anything that we're saying, you should listen to that. But. Um, Ross is quoting someone, and and another thing that I like about this book um, is that he is so, again, unabashedly putting up front um, all the writers and thinkers that have influenced him. And this book is almost about intertextuality. You know, we didn't mention this at the beginning, but he he thanks. He's got this awesome list of people he thanks at the beginning, which you know, for us, the, the real thrill is that. Uh, Alan Iverson is among them. Yes. Um, but, you know, it's, it's a bunch of poets and a, some other writers. Um, yeah. And Alan Iverson is kind of plopped in there and you're like, wait a minute. And he uses language from all of those people. And I think one of them, it either is or it's just someone that he talked about. God, the quote was something so simple, but like he said something like, we owe, if we stop and think about it, we owe everything to each other. Yeah. You know, of just like, we literally don't have anything without each other. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, oh, man. And, you know, it gets, just gave me chills. All of which is to say is I think this is, again, what that move and that gesture is trying to bring us closer to um, is is to really stop and think about, you know, who we are with each other. Right. And, and this idea of looking at each other, witnessing each other, um, beholding each other. Oh, I, you know, like we said going into it, I feel so much yeah. not living up to what I want to say about this. But, you know, th- that section for me 
was just so powerful. And, you know, I felt a little bit nervous about using that word digression to kind of explain what the move is, but it's the best way I could explain it of how this poem logic of what do I see when I look at something closely? And part of what he sees when he looks at something closely is other things that he's read and thought about, yeah. other pictures he's looked at, other memories he's had, and that, you know, maybe all of that is included in the seeing, in the beholding. Um, and that if we take all of that into our looking and our witnessing of each other, I don't know, maybe we'll be more loving. Yeah. Fuck, man, my my <laughs> heart is about to burst. Like, I mean, yeah, like, this is, this is something I've been thinking about a lot lately, um, even before reading this book. Um, you know, the past, like, six years uh, since the former president entered the political scene has been like Mm -hmm. really tough and, you know, like filled with anger for me, Mm -hmm. uh, justifiable anger. And I don't think anger is necessarily a bad emotion. I feel like when you feel anger, you should embrace it. But, um, Mm -hmm. I am lately trying to embrace the more beautiful and loving aspects of life and, and pursue kindness and uh, mm. part of that is, um, uh, you know, part of that is is being a parent. Part of that is just trying to be a better person. But, yeah, Ross does this in such a radical way in this book with, like, the, the acknowledgments. That's the lengthiest acknowledgments page I've ever seen. <laughs> um, um, it's almost as long as the poem itself. <laughs> and... Um, uh, and, and, and the stuff he talks about in the poem, the, the, the gratitude mm-hmm. he expresses in the poem. And I, I just think that's, that's such a useful thing. I think, uh, you know, like I, I've lately been trying to, um, I've always had this attitude of like, what's the point of making art if you can't bring your friends along to make art with you? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like I would have never been in a band if it weren't for Brendan seeing a show from this local band that we uh, used to go see the Roosevelt's was their name. Um, and him saying, you got to come check this show out. Like they're so cool. And then went and saw the Roosevelt's and was like, I want to be in a band. And then I was a musician for life. You know, I would have never been right. a poet were it not for Josh's infectious desire to like bring the community to us, the students, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, you know, like I wouldn't, you know, I write for crack now and I wouldn't, I wouldn't be a writer for them without the, uh, just how, like how much fun and cool I thought like all of the people who came before me who were laid off before I started writing there um, uh, were, were, were about. And then like Jason Pargin, uh, who writes on the site or used to write on the site as David Wong was talking about in a YouTube video was like, all I was trying to do after the layoffs before I left was to make sure, you know, my life's work wasn't just erased and like that just that, that hit, me, hit me really hard. And it was just like, mm. cause I, I, I felt a little, uh, to, to be a little confessional. I felt a little 
weird about contributing after mass layoffs. And like, right. I, I don't feel that way anymore because like a, a different parent company besides the one who owns them now is, uh, or is the one who did the layoffs. Um, so it, it feels like, it feels less like being a scab and more like honoring the, the writers I liked by trying to keep the thing going, you know, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. So all this is a very long way to say shouting out your influences and telling authors you like uh, or, or artists you like in, in general um, that you think their work is cool and like, <laughs> you know, like using other people's or, or, or using other people's work as like a jumping off point and stuff. I think that's something we all do and should be talked about more as like a celebrating community thing. Like there's a difference mm-hmm. between theft and sampling. Um, mm-hmm. And I think we should celebrate sampling a little bit more and celebrate the, the artists we like, you know, and, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. tell them about it. I've always been nervous about being like a Twitter <laughs> reply guy and stuff. And like lately I've been trying to be like, tell people I like, Hey, this, this poem was really good. This story was right. really good. This article right. was really good. You know, um, I think that's something we should uh, we should do more of. You know what what you're getting at, which is like dead on. We'll talk more next time. I think about the importance of the word practice in this book. Yes, but one of the things that I think is probably just really important to Ross, you know, from what I've heard of him speak. Um, and it's definitely very present in, again, his book of essays, The Book of Delights, where so every day for a year, he just tried to write a mini essay about something that delighted him. Um, I love that. Day. And, and he talks about it in like kind of his, his opening to the book is that, um, you know, like, this, is a, this has to be a practice because it's, it can be hard to be grateful. It can be hard to recognize delight. Like you're saying, it can be hard to keep inviting people in or to tell people you know, yeah. that you appreciate something. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and it's something that I'm so bad at. And part of probably why I admire him and, and love his work so much <laughs> is that it invites me to get better at this. But you know, yeah. As someone who beats myself up over little things, yeah. as someone who can get, you know, I can lose a whole day over, you know, something that I'm mad about in the news, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, is to, to remember that being grateful all these, I, I don't even want to get into, I, I guess I probably just can't get into the many different examples. But yeah, I think just like so many parts of being the person I want to be or being a good person, if that's such a thing, right. take practice. Yeah. You know? It's just they're not there. Um, yeah. I love that so much. Yeah. That is 100% what I'm planning on talking about next week. I just have a written notes <laughs> down yet. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, we, I think we're, we're accidentally segueing into Beyond the Book. What's, what's Beyond the Book? I guess you? so. It feels small to move this way, I think, um, after, again, that last section, which, you know, I, I think is doing a big chunk of, of the, the real work that the poem wants to do. Obviously, the whole poem is trying to do this thing. Yeah, um, yeah. But, yeah, I, that, that section... Um, where he really gets into, again, this photography, you know, specifically thinking about race. Um, I, I don't think we touched on that probably as much as I wanted to, or we... Yeah, I'm planning have... on talking about it more next week, yeah. Um, right. Because it it did um, hit for me, especially 
Yeah, yeah it's, with, uh, it's super crucial to this book. Yeah, and th- um, the way he talks about, I'll talk about next week, but the way he talks about his, uh, his family resonated with me thinking about my in-laws and their ancestors and stuff. Right, right. Um, but I guess, you know, for me, a lot of the beyond the book, as I kept thinking about this or, or how this works for me beyond the book was it, it just, it made me think about <laughs> my practice <laughs> as a writer a little bit. Um, again, he's, he's interested in this model of looking closely at something and it hit me as someone who has been working on a project for years. Sure. Yeah. Um, because he had this project, he was studying this thing. Um, and again, going back to that idea of, of his abundance, of his generosity, I, I kept finding myself seeing how his project like opened up and was expansive and inviting of all of the things he's read, sure. all the things he wants to touch on, and pro- like probably in ways that he didn't even imagine when he started. You know, yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how much, you know, he really stayed up and watched Dr. J one night and decided he wanted to write a poem. <laughs> right. You have to imagine some of those timestamps are a little exaggerated. <laughs> right. but, I mean, I just, I try and think about, you know, like what on earth could have been the, the original impulse for this. And it probably was a ton of things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I just, I love that, that move of, of trying to bring it all in. Um, I think, you know, for me, when I think of a project and working on a writing project, I have, a bit more of an instinct to like zoom in yeah, and to, you know, to keep trying to get to some sort of like really close, uh, this isn't the right word, but like, I don't know, like this purified version of like, this is, this is the thing that I want to talk about. And that is perhaps at least following the model of this, that is closing some doors, I think. Sure. And, you know, keeping some opportunities out of it. You know, he, he puts forward this kind of, way of looking at and thinking about something again this goes back to those digressions and letting them letting you know really thinking and really looking offer new possibilities and new ways of thinking about something um you know and i'll just be as bob core as possible like nothing's more utopian than that baby yeah 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 <laughs> you know? well yeah i mean that's i think that's the advantage of a uh, of a long poem over a lyric um mm-hmm. Yeah, you can really you can really get expansive with that. You can really mm-hmm. just uh, let yourself go. Um, that's I have this problem. It annoys uh, our music producer Brendan Johnson very much um, because uh, every time we try to write a song together, I'm like, okay, I can expand this out to an album, and he's just like, can we write one song, please? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like uh, you know, I I have you know used like similar chord progressions or like different variations of chord progressions over the course of one album as a means of hearkening back to it. And it's like, okay, in this song, it goes this way. And in this song, it goes that way. Um, Mm -hmm. As like a, just kind of like a, just like playing with a riff basically. And I think a long poem, as opposed to a lyric, we talk a lot about lyrics on this podcast and lyrics are wonderful at, distilling down to a specific moment and, you know, really getting to the heart of something. But a long poem lets you do what Ross is doing in this book, which is, which is like, yeah, just kind of like let yourself explore, let, 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 mm. let, let your, you know, uh, let your, your writing mind wander. 
Um, mm. And uh, I think what you were what you were talking about like gets at that with just like yeah, what was the genesis of this book? Was it <laughs> was it watching Doctor J over and over again, or was it you know wanting to talk about his dad? You know what 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 was right. you know and and I almost don't want to know. I, I mean, I, I'm curious, definitely. but I almost don't want to know. Um, I mean, it probably it probably definitely was a number of these things. Right, right, um, right. I think uh, I think the 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 moment where he does finally bring up his dad, he he and he's so good at this, where um, he like stops and like kind of announces it. It's like, oh no, I am going to bring my dad yeah. in this poem. <laughs> you know, I, so like I, mean, I immediately thought of you when I got to that line <laughs> with the uh, with the. Uh, because that's who I am or whatever it is. I'm not going to look it up, but like, I was like, Oh, that looks, that sounds like a Bob line. <laughs> I will take that as a compliment. Oh, I mean it as a compliment. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Um, you know, I mean, and he's written about, um, his father before, you know, and I think like for any of us, like that's, it's just always going to be there. Yeah. You know, always going to, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think it's, I think it probably is true of, you know, he was just, doing all this reading, doing all this thinking and, you know, maybe had the instinct to write about Dr. J and then right. All of this stuff happened. I really like, this is going back a little bit into something you said, that idea of you and you and Brendan are trying to make music together and you have the instinct to, to make a full album. And he's just like, man, can we just do a song? (laughs) Um, That reminds me. I'm selling him a little bit short. Um, Sure. But I, I think, even if it's a false dichotomy, like that reminds me of a lot of kind of friends in the arts and and different ways of practicing that I I also want like would aspire to be a little bit more in tune with. Um, you know, I think right now in particular, uh, you know, I've been working on the star manuscript for so long, and sometimes it's just like banging my head against the wall, and I just yeah, um, you know, having recently composed a poem, holy shit, <laughs> you know, it's yeah. so good. To, it's so good to just be like, oh, I I wrote a poem. Right. I just, there it is. There's, there's a new poem um, or, you know, the, the practice of opening up the notebook and just being like, some stuff's going to happen today and I don't care what it is. It doesn't have to get published. It doesn't have to go in the book. Right. Just, just going to do some writing. I think it's, it's easy for me to fall away from that because I have more of that kind of big picture attitude sometimes. And similarly, I, I really get envious of a couple of friends, more music people too. You know, I have, one friend who I lived with for a long time who just, he wants to start a band with everybody. Oh, sure. And, you know, another friend who's like, or could we just kind of jam and have some fun? Like, right. That, that could be the end point and that's fine. Right. Um, and I, I want more of that attitude in my life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I guess I, man, I, I kind of identify a little bit with the, uh, you composed a poem and then, and it's done and that is, isn't that rad. Um, Cause like, yeah, I mean, I, I'll confess, I get I get a little bit high every time I publish an article on Cracked, mm-hmm. yeah. Um Because it's like, oh, here's something I've been working on, and now it's out in the world, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and I think, um, oh, I'm gonna forget his name. Uh, oh man, poet who came to visit us in uh, at Loyola one time. Um, oh boy, I don't. Oh, I'm pretty sure it was Shrikanth Reddy, Chika Reddy. Um, he said uh, that um, one thing you're going to have to confront yourself with as a writer is um, do you like writing or do you like having written? And 
I think about that all the time. Yeah. Because I kind of like both. But um, uh, and, and he was like, if you, if you only like having written, you're going to run into a lot of problems. Right. Um, and that has, def- that, that has been a problem for me, like with Agreed. just confidence issues and like, you know, thinking I'm not good enough and imposter syndrome and all, all, all the stuff every writer deals with. But uh, I'm just like, yeah, but when it's published, then I feel good. You know, <laughs> um, uh, I'm going to have to think about that. But the first thing that comes to my mind is like, oh, I know some people who love the writing part more than I do. Like, yeah. <laughs> some people love the writing part. Um, I remember when, oh man, when, uh, when a uh, friend of the show, Chloe Clark was on a few episodes ago and she was just like, yeah, a lot of my day is like staring at the wall and thinking about my characters. And I was like, you do that without having a panic attack every day? <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a, I, I guess I'm bringing, I'm bringing that up because of what Ross is talking about with the practice, um, which we're, <laughs> we're, we're going to get into more next week and should probably just go ahead and shut up about so we can get into more next week. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, that just practice of living, that practice of doing the thing that, you love to do. Um, yeah, sometimes you have to remind yourself that it's worth doing and, and worth practicing yeah. and stuff. And um, yeah. So, um, <laughs> God, let's just pivot to the NBA question. Fuck. Say, we've, gone, we've gone fairly long today. <laughs> we've gone pretty long today. <laughs> but uh, Ross is worth it. Ross is worth it. Um, and we're going to go. Long next week, I'm sure. <laughs> but <laughs> all right, all right. Basic question: This is the 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 stupidest question I could write in re- in response to this book. Is there a play from history that you could write a whole book about? Uh, I'll go first. Um, I initially thought about the time Steph Curry make <laughs> Chris Paul fall over. <laughs> With a couple of behind-the-back dribbles. You know, I wasn't going to talk about this play too much, and now you're booing, so I'm going to talk about it more. <laughs> Steph Curry totally breaks Chris Paul, allegedly one of the better point guard defenders of all time. Just breaks his ankles, make him fall flat on his ass, just just knocks him absolutely out, and then hits like a baseline six-foot fadeaway. Um, it's beautiful, it's wonderful, and uh, I'm pretty sure the Clippers lost to the Warriors in the playoffs that year. Um but uh oh Boo. my notes say I thought that was too mean and then I got mean. <laughs> um anyway, I'm gonna go with Scotty Pippen dunking on Patrick Ewing. Um I'm sure I've talked about it on this podcast before, but I really think about it a lot. Uh one, because I don't like the Knicks for a number of reasons. Um you know, Chicago's better than New York and James Dolan sucks <laughs> and you know, a bunch of stuff. But I also really love Scotty Pippen because I think he's underrated. Um, and three, Scotty says he regrets that dunk because he and Ewing stops being <laughs> friends after him. <laughs> and that just seems, that seems really pure to me. Um, you do something really cool, a crowning achievement in the greatest year of your career, but it costs you a friendship. And that just seems like something Ross would write about. There's a profound mix of jubilation and sadness whenever I watch that dunk. So maybe I'll write a book-length poem about that dunk. I don't know. Uh, I mean, 
it seems like there's like just such a, a ripe opportunity there for that to like be a book about friendship. You know, yeah. Like the book is about the Scotty Pippen dunk, but actually it's about friendship. Who published this book? University of Pittsburgh Press. I'm gonna pitch you. <laughs> um I'm still a little bit getting over this Chris Paul slander. Um, <laughs> I watched an eight-minute highlight video of literally. Oh, of- you could uh, you could talk about that play where Chris Paul hit the game winner to win a championship. <laughs> I watched an eight-minute highlight video of Chris Paul highlights just from this season. It was so good. <laughs> <laughs> Only sons, Chris Paul. <laughs> I have come around to Chris Paul. I like journeyman Chris oh. Paul. I like I like sons, oh. Chris Paul. I like, um, yeah. But I was trying to think as you were speaking, because foolishly every time you, you do give me the question in advance and I never think of an answer until we're, <laughs> we're doing it live. Um, definitely uh, the... Uh, the Blake Ribbon Mozgov dunk came up. Oh yeah, um, and it it would be so. My book about that would be so not about the play. It would be about like me living in Utah and being alone <laughs> when that happened. And like the first time in my life, the Clippers are good or also in this kind of weird. It, it ultimately was not that dark a period of my life, but at the time it felt really dark. Sure, sure. <laughs> um, I think you get some good out of that actually. Perhaps your nomadism uh, and then. Um, and then I was thinking, I don't have a specific one, um, but I would love just like watching like a Rodman leg kick rebounding, you know, absurd. And maybe it's him like, you know, parallel trying to save the ball. But I think where I landed and it, it might not be for me to write, but perhaps just one that I think is loaded with kind of possibilities um is uh the vince carter olympic dunk where he completely oh you know, he, yeah entire, she talked about it a couple weeks ago name. on the podcast i think did we i think <laughs> the frederick weiss one right uh we did talk about frederick weiss a couple weeks ago i already <laughs> forgot um but again like you know that dunk you know, one, we have the sad story of Frederick Weiss afterwards, but I, you know, that's a poem that becomes about American imperialism. (laughs) 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 Right? Yes. Yes. You're absolutely right. (laughs) Like that has to be a global historical, you know, critique of the, Everything. Yeah, yeah. No, you're absolutely right. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And especially, I mean, you're going to have to factor in, like, American imperialism. It was 2003, which was the height of, like, freedom fries and, like, anti-French right. sentiment. And then you're going to have to factor in the fact that basketball, though invented by a Canadian, is, like, became a primarily black sport, a, a sport where black people really excel so, mm-hmm. and black people are victims of American imperialism. Right. And man, yeah, you can get really in the weeds with that. Uh, yeah. Oh, boy. Again, I don't think I am capable of handling all of that. Right. But man. Ugh. All right. Uh, one, one, <laughs> one quick thing is that you were talking about the Blake Griffin Moskov thing. And since we've been very sentimental on this podcast and we've been very gushing about friendship and things like that. Uh, the Blake Griffin thing reminded me of right around 2010, 2011, when you and I were 
first starting to become really good friends. Um, there's a time we were probably coming back from a pickup basketball game, uh, riding the bus uh, over to um, probably that house on Andersonville that uh, I guess you lived in. Pat lived in. I lived in briefly. Yeah. yeah. Um, mm. And Blake Griffin was really good, and the Bulls are really good. Derek Rose is really good, and I think Anuj asked if the Bulls and the Clippers made the finals, would we all <laughs> splurge on tickets? Um, and that was when I kind of learned about your Clippers fandom and like your story with your dad taking you to a Clippers Lakers game and like all that stuff. And like learning that, you know, you're, you know, cheer for the Bulls cause you live in Chicago, but like we're, we're a Clippers fan and stuff. And um, I think about that day sometimes because it, it reminds me of, what a tragedy those Clippers teams and Bulls teams ended up being and how much of a bummer it is. We never got to go to a Bulls Clippers finals game. Um, so that is, that is my loving tribute to our friendship uh, wow. because I, I do think about that a decade on. A, I think about that a lot. <laughs> that's a special moment. Uh, and what a naive optimism. Oh yeah. Yeah. We were both dead teams. wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I remember, I feel like I reacted to a news that way. Like, it was like, what do you mean if they're both going to the finals this year? <sighs> Not the case. It was Mavs. Heat. No. Well, shout out Kevin <laughs> for seeing Kevin, our friend, Kevin San Juan, who's a Mavs fan. Uh, oh my goodness. Uh, well, that's an episode. Right. That's an episode. <laughs> <laughs> we'll probably go longer next week because we're dorks who, gush um <laughs> our music is produced by brendan johnson our art is done by am strickland and we'll be back next week